بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد ونسلی علی رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا ٹینتھ آف فیبروری ان دا ایئر الحمد للہ وی موڈ آن ٹو دا ففٹی تھرڈ نائٹ دا of the illustrious companion, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu And I've reached the point where I've mentioned that in the 63rd year after the Hijrah, the tragedy of Harra took place in which the city of our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa was ransacked. So the next section entitled Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu's grief over the tragedy At the time of the tragedy of Al-Harra, the now 73-year-old Sayyidina Anas was in Basra. And when the news reached him, he was truly heartbroken. Indeed, he said to one of his contemporaries, I was heartbroken on account of those who were struck down at Al-Harra. So why was he grieving? Because obviously they were believers, they were companions. but also many of them were related to Anas because obviously he came from Al-Madinah. So they were companions, believers, and also family members. And so many had been martyred. Sayyidina Zayd ibn Arqab who was in Kufa at the time, he wrote to Anas comforting him upon his brother's deaths. In the letter he wrote, I have heard Rasulullah say, sallallahu alayhi wa O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, forgive the Ansar and the children of the Ansar, radiyallahu ta'ala. And in one report, there is the addition, and the children of the Ansar's children. This is in Sayyid Bukhari, number 4906, Sayyid Muslim, number 2506 to 7. So what better way to comfort than to quote Revelation? So Zayd ibn Arkham, he was in Kufa, he wrote to Anas, And he mentioned that beautiful hadith where the Prophet ﷺ, he made dua to forgive, to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive the Ansar and the children and also the grandchildren. Relevant here is the report from Bukair ibn Wahab who relates, Anas radiyallahu said to me, I will narrate to you a hadith that I do not narrate to everyone. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was standing at the door of the house and we were inside. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Al-a'immatu min Quraysh. The imams will be from the Quraysh. Inna li alikum haqqa wa lahum alikum haqqa. I sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have a right over you and they have a similar right over you. As long as mercy is sought from them and they show mercy and if they promise, they fulfill it and if they rule, they do justice. But he of them who does not do so will then have on him the curse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the angels, alayhi salatu wa salam, and all the people together. <laughs> so this is recorded in Ahmad, Tabarani, Abu Ya'la, Tarheeb, number 1883. So looking at this report, 
Anas, he said something very interesting, Radiyallah. He said to one of his students, I'm going to narrate something to you that I don't narrate to everybody, meaning this is a hadith that I have to be careful with. And what was the hadith? He mentioned what the Prophet was doing at the time when he heard the hadith. He was standing at the door of the house. And then he said, the imams, the rulers, would be from the Quraysh. Then he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I have a right over you and they have a similar right over you, meaning as a ruler, they have rights. Then what, what did the Prophet say? As long as mercy is sought from them and they show mercy and if they promise, they fulfill it and if they rule, they do justice. But he of them who does not do this will have on him the curse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the angels and the people all together. So what was Anas highlighting from the Prophet that the rulers, they have rights over you, but they also have a great, great responsibility. And if they don't fulfill that responsibility, Allah ta'ala curses them, the angels and all the people. And what is that responsibility? They show mercy. They fulfilled their promises and they showed justice. So now why did Anas say, I don't narrate this hadith to everyone? Because obviously he was referring to the time of the fitna. Because they didn't fulfill this. So what did the Prophet say? The curse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the angels and all the people are upon them. So note, he knew things, but he was keeping this away from the ears of the rulership, i.e. to prevent any further fitna. Subhanallah, just consider also the report on the authority of Abu Huraira who relates that the Prophet said, Seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the beginning of the year 70 and from the rule of boys. This is in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad 2-326, Behaki in his Dalai al-Nubu'ah, Mishkat number 3716. So this is a command. So what did the Prophet say? Billah, seek refuge in Allah min sab'ina from the beginning of the year 70 wa imadat and from the rule of boys. So now, before moving on, the Prophet said from the beginning of the year 70, and this refers to the seventh decade after the Hijrah, namely 61 a Hij. So in English, when you say the seventh decade has started, you're actually saying it's the 61st year. So it's important to highlight that the Prophet didn't say 60, 61st year. What he said was the beginning of the year 70. But the scholars unanimously interpret that to mean it's the year 61. He goes, seek refuge in Allah from that year and from the rule of boys. So that's the hadith. Sheikh Nawab Muhammad Qutbuddin Khan Bihlawi Rahmatullah in his Mazayri Ihaq number 3716, he clarified. Beginning of the year 70 is the seventh decade of the Hijrah, which began in 61 AH. At the end of 60 AH, Sayyidina Muawiyah passed away and his era was over. Then his son Yazid ibn Muawiyah began his rule. Thereafter, the Ummah's history is replete with discord 
infighting, injustice, oppression, and rivalry for rulership. Just up in the court. So the Sheikh is explaining, commenting upon this hadith. And he's mentioning it's the year 61 AH. Muawiyah leaves the world to Radiyallahu in 60 AH. So whose year was the Prophet saying seek refuge from? From Yazid's rule. And then he goes, as soon as that year started, he goes, what happened? Discord, infighting, injustice, oppression, rivalry. Then the Sheikh said, during Yazid's rule, which was just over two years, the most shameful tragedy at Karbala took place in which Rasulullah's beloved grandson and his family members were brutally martyred. After Yazid, his son Muawiyah, his Ibn Yazid, he succeeded him only in name. And then rulership shipped out of the hands of Abu Sufyan's clan of Banu Umayyah into the hands of Banu Marwan. The Hadith refers to these Banu Marwan as the boys. So breaking it down. So the Sheikh, he mentions, which I've discussed the last few sessions, Yazid's rule, which was disastrous. Then he said, when Yazid passed away, his son took over. And his son was a righteous young man. His name was Muawiyah ibn Yazid, rahmatullah And he abdicated. He goes, I don't want any of this, because he saw the intrigue taking place. So when he abdicated, that lineage now, the, the children were too young. So Marwan steps forward. And Marwan being one of the heads of the Banu Umayyah, he goes, I should take the rule. And then the Sheikh says, that is now how the Khilafat moved from Abu Sufyan's lineage, to Marwan and his lineage. The Sheikh says, the Hadith refers to the Banu Marwan lineage as the boys. So what did the Prophet wasallam say? Seek refuge from the 70th and wa'imarat is sibyan the rule of boys. The Shaykh continued, During their time, there was much tug of war for authority, oppression, religious unrest, ethnic wars, neglect of the symbols of Islam, and harsh treatment of religious elders. This turned the entire administration to a children's playground. The most disgraceful man amongst them was the tyrant Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. The Holy Prophet had foreseen these troublesome years of the seventh decade of Hijrah, which began with the rule of Yazid ibn Muawiyah and reached their peak in the time of Banu Marwan. Therefore, he advised his companions to seek refuge from that time and asked them to supplicate that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may not show them that period. Subhanallah. So this is the full quote. So hopefully the last few sessions we've discussed this and you realize this is a miracle of the Prophet sallallahu Again, he was absolutely spot on. It was the beginning of the seventh decade and everything broke loose. So how did the Prophet know that? So what's strange is we're going through these sad events and obviously it hurts anybody with Iman. But at the same time, it's increasing our iman because the Prophet mentioned these things. So the Lord And then what did he mention? He mentioned that the elders were treated very harshly and the administration turned into a children's playground. And of course, when you, you'll see this when you're going through the, the events.
So now a question. Can one curse Yazid for his involvement in the murder of Imam Hussein and his family? And the only reason I'm discussing this is because you hear conflicting things. So what have the respected Shuyuk mentioned? So first, Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah, in his Majmu Fatawa 3-413-414, he said, The correct position is what the Imams Rahimahumullah are upon, that Yazid is not given love, nor is he cursed. With this, if he were a sinner or an oppressor, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives the sinner and oppressor, especially if he came with tremendous good deeds. In his Sayyid of Al-Bukhari, from Ibn Umar, that the Prophet said, the first army to invade Constantinople is forgiven. And the commander of the first army to invade it was Yazid ibn Muawiyah. And Abu Ayyub al-Ansari was with him. Thus, the obligation is adopting a middle course and turning away from mention of Yazid ibn Muawiyah, testing the Muslims by him, because this is from the heresies opposing the people of the Sunnah. So let's look at this. So Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah, he discussed this, and look how humble he was. He could have given his own opinion, which he was certainly entitled to being an imam. But he humbly said, the correct position is what the imams are upon, meaning the mujtahid imams. And what they've said, you know, in simple words, is that we don't love Yazid, nor do we curse him. Meaning we keep quiet. And then Ibn Taymiyyah said, Rahmatullah, if he was a sinner and oppressor, then Allah Ta'ala forgives the sinner and oppressor, especially if he has tremendous good deeds. And what did he mention? What good deed, immense deed did Yazid have to his credit? And he was the leader of the army that first had a crack at the capital, the eastern capital of the Christian Constantinople. And what did the Prophet say in Bukhari? The first army to invade Constantinople is forgiven. So he said the commander of that army was Yazid and Sahaba were with him. So why did he mention that? Because he was saying if he committed such great crimes, Allah forgives that if you have tremendous good deeds. Then he said, thus the obligation is adopting a middle course and turning away from mention of Yazid ibn Muawiyah, meaning just keep quiet, don't talk about it. He goes, why? Because this is from the heresies opposing the people of Sunnah, meaning this is something that the people of Sunnah don't waste their time on. Let's turn to another sheikh. So Hafiz Mullah Ali Qadi, the great muhaddith of the Hanafis, uh, who wrote many works. And one of his works is Minah al-Rawd al-Azhar, 215-217. He said, Some differed in their views about Yazid ibn Muawiyah. The text Al-Khilasa and others maintain that one must not curse Yazid and likewise Hajjaj. This is due to the Prophet ﷺ preventing the believers from cursing those who offer Salat 
and are deemed people of the Qibla. So what's the first thing Hafiz Mullah Ali Qadi mentions, he says, don't curse, let alone Yazid, don't even curse Hajjaj. Because why? The Prophet prohibited us from cursing those who established the prayer and they are facing the Qibla. Then he said, in addition, some went to the extent cursing Yazid outright on the belief that he ordered the killing of Imam Hussein. In response to this are the words of Imam Ghazali who said, If it is asked as to whether it is permissible to curse Yazid because he killed Hussein or ordered such a thing, the reply this is something which is essentially not established. It is not permissible to say that he killed him or gave the order. Meaning this is not clear. It is not lawful to ascribe an enormity to an individual and neither to accuse him of immorality or unbelief if the case has not been proven. If it is established that a Muslim killed another Muslim, it is still not deemed unbelief according to the Ahlul Sunnah. Murder is not unbelief, it is disobedience. Then he said, Imam Ghazali, as for our seeking mercy for Yazid, it is recommended. So Imam Ghazali, Hujjat al-Islam, he said, if you ask for mercy for Allah the Almighty for Yazid, he goes, this is recommended. Then, Mullah Ali Qali said, Ibn Salah rahmatullah he said, it is not established that Yazid ordered the death of Hussein. What is maintained is that the command ensued from Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad, the governor of Iraq. As for the cursing of Yazid, this is not the concern of the believers. So this is a full quote from Hafiz Mullah Ali Qali. So he also, just like the Imams and Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah, said, don't curse Yazid, because what you are actually accusing him of is not even established. So even in a court of law, why are you making somebody guilty when it's not proven? And also he said, if he did, it's not unbelief. Killing isn't unbelief. It is a crime. And then Imam Ghazali, where did he gear towards? He goes, as for seeking mercy, it is recommended. So what he was, his blessed self was on the lines He's innocent of the crime. And then, of course, he mentions other great scholars, Ibn Salah, one of the great muhaddiths. He goes, cursing Yazid is not the concern of believers. Meaning, if you got Iman, why are you wasting your time with this? In another of his blessed words, Hafiz Ibn Taymiyyah further elucidated, Rahmatullah in Mukhtasar Fatawa, page 210. Some of them regarded him as one of the guided and just rulers. Others regarded him as a companion. All of this is obviously ignorance and misguidance. Rather, the truth concerning him is that he was one of the Muslim kings who did good and bad things. We do say about him what we say about all other kings. We neither love him nor revile him. Subhanallah. So Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah, he, he said, that you go to extremes. Some people have gone to extremes with the Yazid. Some have said he was a just ruler because that's an extreme. Some have said even as far as to say he was a Sahab because this is a misguidance. He wasn't a companion. He goes, rather, 
he did good and bad things. <laughs> and he goes, therefore, we neither love him nor revile him, meaning he's got good and bad. <laughs> we ask the Almighty and Glorious to preserve us from any deviation or abomination. Amen. So I wanted to mention that with regards to Yazid. So whoever quoted 40 Imams, Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah, Mullah Ali Qari, if they are not alims, then who are? <laughs> right? And these are the ones that we should put our complete trust within. Without now going into any great detail, it would be sufficient to relate that Abdullah ibn Zubair radiallahuma, he ruled for some years thereafter, but the authority was ultimately taken from him by the ever ambitious unruly Omeyyads. Just to mention one point here. So the Khilafat split now. Abdullah ibn Zubair has proclaimed the Khilafat and his base is Makkah, Al-Muqarrama. The Umayyads still have their Khilafat in Damascus, but now it's with Marwan. And what's interesting, Marwan was actually thinking of giving his pledge to Abdullah ibn Zubair. He actually thought that, he was on the verge of doing it, he thought, we need unity. The one who stopped him was Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad. <laughs> Think about that. He goes, if you give your pledge, he goes, we will lose authority forever, the Umayyads. So he was thinking like the Jahil, you know, it was a tribal thing. And Marwan sadly listened, you know, Ubaidullah persisted. So Marwan then suddenly started taking the land back slowly and surely. So he secured Syria. And the scholars even point out that if Abdullah ibn Zubair radiallahu had gone into Syria, he would have taken it very easily. But the reason he did not, he didn't want bloodshed, unnecessary blood to be spilled. So some people ignorantly think he lost a golden opportunity. And the response to that is, he's a companion. He's not going to shed you know, blood for no reason. So yes, politically, you could say he made a mistake, but he understood the value of the blood of the Muslims. But that gave the opportunity to Marwan to take steps and eventually the, the, uh, the power changed back into the hands of Banu Marwan. But Marwan didn't see live to see the rule. His son, Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, eventually became the Khalif. So how long was Abdullah ibn Zubayr's Khalifah? In Al-Bidayah, in the chapter on the Khalifah of Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, Hafiz ibn Kathir, he said, he received the Pledge of Allegiance on the 7th of Rajab in the 64th year after the Hijrah. And it is well known, he was martyred on Tuesday, the 14th of Jumad al-Ula in the 73rd year after the Hijrah. Mm-hmm. Let's look at this. So he became the Amir al-Mu'mineen in the month of Rajab, the month that we're in now, the blessed month of Rajab. And his rule was there for, for around nine years. He was a Khalifa for nine years. And he was martyred around the Kaaba. Upon Abdullah ibn Zubair radiallahu's martyrdom, the Khalifa now in the year 73 AH came into the hands of Abdul Malik ibn Marwan. Anas radiallahu had now crossed the 83rd year of his blessed life. So look how interesting. Hazrat Anas is living an extraordinary life and he's seeing all these momentous events taking place, but now he's going into his extreme old age. He's in his uh, mid 80s. And Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, and I think about that. When Abdullah ibn Zubair was born, he was born when the Prophet did Hijrah. And his mother gave birth to him in Quba. 
Anas was 10 years old. And he goes, he, he mentioned the celebrations. Why? Because the Jews, they put some witchcraft on the Muslims because they can't have children. Because we've done witchcraft upon them. So when Abdullah ibn Zubair was born, he put an end to that lie. So the people celebrated. And Anas was one of those because I was 10 years old. He is now 83, and the one who's 10 years younger than him has been martyred around the Kaaba. So obviously, he was very, very upset over the turn of events. So all I mentioned today was basically mentioning two things. Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu's grief over the tragedy of Harra, in which many of his family members were martyred in the city of the Prophet and the comforting words that one of the companions gave to him by a letter. And then I mentioned the report with regards to the Prophet instructing that they should seek refuge from the seventh decade and the rule of voice. And I mentioned who was being referred to there. And then I hopefully try to clarify upon the question, can one curse Yazid for his involvement in the murder of Imam Hussein and his family? And I mentioned the authorities, what they've said in this regard. And then I mentioned a brief with regards to the longevity of Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Zubair's Khilafat. And just to add, the Khilafat of the companions started with Abu Bakr. Allah, it ended with his grandson, Abdullah ibn Zubair. So there's some beauty in this. People say, how long did the khilafat, was the Khilafat with the, was with the Sahaba? And you say it was with the uh, Sahaba till the year 73, 74 AH. Who was the first Abu Bakr? Who was the last? His grandson, Abdullah ibn Zubair. So Allah started and finished the Khilafat of the companions with the greatest companion of his beloved Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Are there any questions? Subhanallah bihamni, subhanakallahumma bihamni ka ashlu lai lahi illa anta safari ka atubu alayka abdu lai mishidhan yu subhanahu rabbi ka rabbi al-izzati amma yisifun assalamu alayhi wa sallim wa alhamdulillah 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 alh